Good morning again. Good seeing everybody. That was kind of weak, but anyway, good morning. <laughs> Mine was weak too, so if I'm, mine's going to be weak, then yours is going to be weak, more than likely. So good morning. Uh, we had a great first service. Uh, we had someone come to Jesus in the first service. Yeah. So who knew that the first service would be where the fishing is good? Uh, so uh, you'd think it'd be in the second service. There, there is actually more room in the first service for those of you that don't like kind of squeeze it in. You got room in the first service. There's definitely more room, but yeah, it was great to see another person come to know the Lord. This back-to-back weeks in the 830 service, someone's gotten saved. So exciting to see uh, that Jesus is still saving and calling people. We know that he is, and uh, we knew when we... Uh, went to a second service, I don't know, a couple years back that there was a reason for it. Even that first, there was like me and hardly anybody in there. But uh, now there's definitely people coming and people are coming to Christ in that service as well and, and growing in the Lord. As Scott had mentioned the baptism, I, I'm following a historian uh, um, and he posts all kinds of pictures from uh, the 18th. Well, you didn't have pictures until as far as, you know, he had the metal plate kind of pictures and the fire and everything. So pictures in the 1800s and early 1900s. And he posts pictures from all over the United States. And a lot of them are from the Southeast. And baptisms were a big deal. And the church, I didn't realize how to, what a big deal they were in the church back in the day. There'd be like the entire church on like a riverbed. And people lined up. And this is how the, all the pastors did baptisms back then. One arm was like this. And uh, they would be in the water and full suits. And I, I don't ever get in the baptism with a full suit. They're in full suits, hats on, everything. And the ladies with dresses getting in there. It's just really different. So uh, as Scott said, uh, people can do that by accident. Or you can do it on purpose. So if you decide next week you want to get baptized uh, all dressed up, you can do it. Uh, no one seems to do that anymore. I'm not saying we have to go back. I just said it's just a different time. It's really cool to see. But uh, good to see all of you. A couple things before we get into God's Word. Uh, this Wednesday, again, will be another uh, Wednesday of prayer. So we've got this Wednesday, the following Wednesday, and the first Wednesday in uh, February, for that matter. But this past Wednesday was really a blessing. We had a great turnout. Uh, we all kneeled up here and prayed over this altar. And lo and behold, someone got saved in the 830 service. So I really believe that God uh, already honored the seeds that we planted and we we anointed the pulpit. We anointed the. Uh, someone told me that I was getting extra Pentecostal last week, but anyway, <laughs> at least at the Wednesday service. But um, I do, I do really, uh, you know, know the Lord wants us to be an anointed people, and uh, and so we know this is a stage. It's not an altar. It's not made of stones. I, I get that, but everything up here, whether it's the preaching, whether it's the worship, whether it's um, you know people coming forward, it is that. It would all be an offering to the Lord. And so to see someone come to Christ, thank you for those that you were here. We kneeled and we prayed at this altar that God would anoint many altar calls in the months and years to come. And I said, I'd never done that before. I probably should have done it years ago. But uh, we did do it this past Wednesday. It was a real blessing. If you come out this Wednesday, we'll be praying again. And we're going to have something kind of different each week. So we'll do that this Wednesday. And we also fast. If you're able to fast during the day, come out this Wednesday at 630 and uh, I wanted to give, um, I wanted to do a little bit more throughout the year of Mission Spotlight. So if you don't know, uh, we have investments where we support in India, the Philippines, India, the Philippines, Guatemala, 
Israel, Uganda, and Italy. Uh, I don't think I missed any countries. Those are all the countries that we have uh, missions, investments, people that we're directly connected to, personal friends with, working directly with, sending resources and money directly to those six countries. And really more than that, because like uh, John works with Ananias House, which is all over the Middle East. He's in Egypt. He's in Lebanon. He's in um, uh, Syria, which is where he's from. Originally, he's from Damascus. And so, uh, so we have all those ministries. Actually, if I count that Ananias House, I don't know how many other countries that we're touching. But just this small church here on Genito Road, we're involved in that many parts of the world. And I wanted to give just an update uh, a little more regularly about what's going on in different places. Now, we were supposed to have Bill James here from Uganda uh, but then he had a medical emergency, was in the hospital in Pennsylvania back in October, so he didn't end up being here. But um, uh, we also had a mission trip, not a mission trip, we had a, uh, a trip, a tour, uh, where I was going to be teaching and preaching throughout Israel, and that got knocked out by the attacks of October 7th, so our trip got canceled. We were supposed to leave February 5th, come back February 15th. So that freed that up. So I do, uh, I have a number of our missionaries that have been asking me to come visit them ever since 2019. COVID, you know, started early 2020, and uh, I'd taken a trip to Israel, took a, took a team there, and, and then everything kind of stopped. And so uh, John Samara, uh, I'm supposed to probably in late February go visit him at their headquarters in Houston, and he, you know, he goes, flies back and forth from Houston to the Middle East, and he has been asking me for a couple of years to please come visit and pray with the ministry there in Houston, so I'm probably going to do that uh, instead of Israel to go see him and Miro and, and their family, and Sarah will probably go with me. Um, uh, Jeff Stone had invited me to come down to Guatemala, uh, and I'll show you the building that they just dedicated, but I could not do that because it was last week, and I was supposed to be here last week, so that wasn't going to work. So uh, maybe later in the year I'll get down. I do want to get down and see uh, what's going on in Guatemala. I hadn't been there in several years, and so he's been asking uh, myself and uh, Nicole's friends with Sarah, so we might go down there. Uh, so we'll see, but those are, those are some things that, but I want to give updates to all of you what's going on. We do have a, definitely a mission trip coming up in the summer to Guatemala, possibly a, another country or two. We'll just kind of wait and see. I have a call with David Downs, who you're going to hear from just a moment. He's this pastor in Italy, and uh, so we'll talk on Tuesday about whether a trip in 2024 or 2025. So we've got things that are going on there. But I wanted to kind of just give a spotlight on these two countries this morning. So uh, Guatemala, just last week, they dedicated that brand-new Christian school you see right there. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, we're part of... There's Calvary chapels all over the country that are part of supporting the ministry in Guatemala. And what started with just Jeff and Nicole is, I don't know, Javon, you spent like almost a year down there. I don't know how many kids are in the school now. i got to find out from them. We're supposed to talk soon as well. I put a little dot where the ministry is in Guatemala. If you didn't, that little white dot, that's where it is. So what, about an hour and a half, and you hit Mexican border right there, Tuan, where you, uh, Javon. Uh, so we've got right here is... That's where it is, and Mexico's right here. Uh, Guatemala is the same size as Virginia. It's almost the exact same size, but obviously it's shaped differently, so you can see it's, it's uh, more north-south than Virginia is. But um, uh, that's where the, uh, the, the city of Quetzaltenango is, and La Esperanza is the name of the church there. And now that Christian school, which started in a much smaller place, has grown, and they, 
scholarship kids and they're reaching the community and a lot of uh, parents are getting saved because their kids are going to Christian school and so just God's doing an amazing uh, work there in Guatemala and I love uh, Pastor Jeff and Brandon and the whole team down there and uh, so uh, uh, Derek and the team you we got another trip coming up. They gave us three dates, so we'll be settling on those soon. And then I also wanted to kind of give a quick little uh, spotlight on Italy. And we'll, again, throughout the year, we'll kind of spotlight the different ones so you kind of know what's going on. Uh, and you're going to hear in just a second from David and Danae. Uh, David originally was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Pastor Chuck was still there when he moved to Italy like 13 years ago. Today, him and Danae are fluent in Spanish. They dream in Spanish. They love the Italian people. Jeff and Nicole love the people of Guatemala. And, uh, you know, God has given all of these uh, different servants a heart for the countries in which they serve. Bill loves the people of Uganda. Uh, you know how much Zach and Lee love Indian, uh, the Indian culture and the people there. And so God has done a great work. But um, you're going to hear from David in just a second. And Italy, when they first got there in Turin, uh, Torino there, Torino is the Italian word for it. But there was just like no church at all, and they started a little Bible study, and it's grown, and now he has deacons, and you'll see a baptism that they uh, have in the video too. But I just wanted to hear you, let you hear from Dave and Danae themselves. They gave a little video update. Uh, his wife is very creative, and you'll see that, uh, and she's a, she's a real uh, gifted individual in a lot of different ways, and he's a great teacher of God's Word, and I may get there also this year, he's asked me to come and teach in Torino, as well as a conference that's taking place in central Italy. With There used to be no evangelical churches now, and there's uh, many Calvary chapels. I think we've got like seven or eight, maybe even ten in Italy now. I don't know how many uh, today. So uh, go ahead and play the video with David and Danae. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the intro. <laughs> this is our 2023 update. Are you gonna start? Hit it. And start. <laughs> this is Danae. My name is David, and we're your missionaries in Turin. In good old Italia. Three things we'd like to share with you. One, we have a local church in this city of 2.2 million people. And we're five years into that, and we've seen uh, more and more people coming out. This year we had our first leadership retreat. Eight, I have uh, eight guys in a pre-leadership group. They're teaching the midweek now on a rotation. And just so excited to see the men that God's raised up to help lead the church into the future. Uh, this summer we did a first music outreach in the, in the conservatory, the historic music hall downtown in our city. We had over 400 people in attendance and we were able to preach the gospel with fun, with beauty, and with clarity. Uh, pray for future evangelistic endeavors in our city, please. Uh, we've changed locations recently, subletting another church building in our city. But would you pray with us as we look for a more permanent home for our church location? That's kind of a big point of prayer. One of my big goals as a local church is to teach through the whole Bible and create an audio archive. Over the years as we're here, I'm into the book of 1 Samuel, and just pray that I can continue to teach through and record well as we work through these projects. Number two. Number two is Pew 40. I started a project a couple of years ago when COVID began. I think you guys have already heard about it. 
and it is a way to encourage the youth here in Italy to be creative, to use the gifts that God has given them for his glory, to memorize scripture, and as a resource for children's ministries, outreaches, VBS, because uh, in Italy, there's not much of a culture of pouring into the kids, and we really want to try to fill that gap. So. At the end of last year, 2022, we finished 10 music videos and CD number one, P40 Project One. This year, we are working on recording, producing, writing all of the songs for P40 Project Two. Point number three. There is a Christian radio station with 40 years of history, and I became the president of that radio three years ago. Uh, we're facing a court battle with another radio over an interference issue. I pray for resolution of this, new volunteers, new content, and new forms of collaboration with local churches in our city. So thank you for your love uh, towards us as we continue with the church plant, the kids music project, and the Christian radio station in turn. God bless you guys. Thank you guys. Love you. Thank you. Great to see what God is doing in other parts of the world, and you know, so God is moving. You know, the gospel started in places like you know. Here, I'll, uh, I'm, I'll be talking to John this week, and John, born and raised in Damascus, Syria. His wife Mira, born and raised in Damascus, Syria. These guys are in Italy, and that's the places we're reading about in our Bibles: Damascus and Rome, and all the places that are. So that's where the gospel was first, and then all of a sudden. There's hardly any believers there, and all of a sudden, there's these little sprigs of green coming back up in Syria, in Italy, in Turkey, in Greece, and these are the places where the church was, and now it went dormant, um, and so uh, we, we're just excited to see what God is doing in these places, as well as uh, places like Uganda and India and Guatemala, so we'll try and keep you updated. We're going to pray this morning as we continue to pray for revival for our own country, uh, we have lots and lots of Bibles in this country, but that doesn't mean we have millions of people following what's in the Bible, do we? So we've been praying that our country, which has so much access, you know, I think about uh, countries, we're going to pray for Yemen, for example. Yemen's in the news, as you know, they're not a big fan of the United States right now, and uh, we've got military operations that are dealing with the, uh, the, um, the attacks on the ships there in, uh, in the Red Sea, and, uh, but God loves the Yemeni people. And God is still saving souls there. And there are believers there. That's a tiny percentage. Uh, but uh, unlike us, you know, there's kids that have never, and adults in, in Yemen that have never heard the gospel even one time. And many Americans, most Americans, there are, I've met people that have never heard the gospel amazingly enough in this country. But, but most people have heard it at least once. And some people have heard it hundreds of times and still haven't made room in their heart. Uh, for the Lord. And so we pray for revival for our own country that God would just open up blind eyes. But also we'll pray for Yemen. Uh, you know, God can bring about a wave of repentance and all of a sudden that would actually stop missile attacks and everything else. So the, the answer to the whole world is Jesus. People turning to Christ in every corner of the globe. And that's why I wanted to just give an update on what's happening in Guatemala and Italy, at least today. Uh, because uh, you won't hear on the news what God is doing. You'll only hear about all the other things that are happening. But, but God is on the move, and we're going to get on our knees, if you're able to, for about 30 seconds of silence. Uh, if you're able to do that, you're going to see in our text, Peter will get on his knees, 
and we're going to do the same if you're able to. If you can't, that's fine. Just sit there and pray with us, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you're a merciful God. We're here this morning only because of your mercy. Lord, not a single one of us deserve your grace and your forgiveness, but Lord, uh, your mercies indeed are new every day and this very day. And so we come before you. We're thankful, Lord, for so great a salvation. Lord, forgive us if we've neglected or uh, laid aside our salvation for lesser things, Lord. We pray that even in this morning, before we pray for uh, our, our nation and those around us, Lord, we pray for ourselves in this room. We ask that you'd wash us, that you'd cleanse us. Lord, even as the scriptures say, of hidden faults or secret faults, things we don't even see in ourselves, Lord, we know how flawed and perfect we are, and yet we can't even see close to the reality of, Lord, how much you have given us of your grace and your mercy. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd wash and forgive each and every person that's been saved by your grace. Lord, if there's someone here, as there was in the first service, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, you would speak to them and draw them to that place of forgiveness, Lord. We're thankful for the souls you've saved in India and in Israel and in Guatemala and in Italy and in, uh, Lord, Uganda and so many other places around the world, Lord. But we pray for our own nation this morning, Lord. We know that we have many millions that maybe they've heard the gospel, maybe they haven't, Lord, but they are dead in their trespasses and sin. And Lord, we pray that you turn the hearts of our leaders. We have people that are espousing evil. We have an entertainment industry that is built on sin and, and Lord, perpetuating it, a social media environment, Lord, that just uh, perpetuates and constantly tempts people with sin. Lord, we are a nation that is full of rebellion and uh, idolatry and racism and all kinds of things that we see. Lord, we ask that you would soften hearts, open eyes, and bring the conviction of sin, Lord. And, and Lord, you do a purifying work. And we'd, Lord, it would happen in the church too, in the pulpits and the pews, that many would turn back to Christ and and we would serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You give us a hunger and thirst for your righteousness. As your servant David wrote, create in us a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within us. We pray, Lord, for the nation of Yemen. We know how much you love the Yemeni people. And, Lord, many of them, even if they don't know why they hate America, Lord, you love them. And, Lord, we pray for them. We pray that uh, you'd bring them out of Islam into a saving relationship with Jesus whether they're terrorists, whether they're just peaceful people trying to make a living, Lord, we pray that you would bring them to Jesus. And not only there, but around the world. And we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, Lord, so many that are suffering in parts of Asia, parts of the Middle East, parts of Africa. Lord, we pray that you would uh, just minister to and heal and use them as bright lights and fill them with your peace and your power and your protection. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying 
with us this morning. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, uh, to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and we will finish the ninth chapter. Acts chapter 9. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to read just the first section, then we'll read the second section when we get to verse 36. Let me just read uh, verses 1 through 35, and then we'll pick it up from there. Uh, We're going to pick up with verse 31, which we did read verse 31 last week. I mentioned we would look at it again, and actually a little more depth in depth this morning. Verse 31, Acts chapter 9. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. We're going to read the other passage in just a minute, but let's pray again. Father, we ask now for the help of your Spirit, the presence of your Spirit, the ministry of your Spirit, Lord, to speak through your Word, which is forever settled in heaven, Lord. I pray you'd settle our hearts, Lord, remove every distraction, and Lord Jesus, that you would permeate, you'd fill this place. If we know you, we'd leave here knowing you more. If we don't know you, we'd leave here knowing you as Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would break chains, that you would open eyes, that you would deliver burdens, that you would comfort, that you would correct, that you would convict all the things that only you by your Spirit can do. I ask for your help, your anointing, for I could never do this without your help, Jesus. Speak to each person, whether they're here or online. In your name we pray. Amen. The Spirit of Christ had brought a time of peace in the church in Judea in Galilee, to the north, and to Samaria, which sits in the middle, all the way down to Judea. The believers in Judea and Jerusalem, they had suffered greatly. Many had to flee to other places. The church in Samaria was there in large part uh, because the Spirit had used Philip when he left Jerusalem and he went to Samaria and he preached Jesus and the gospel there right after Saul began attacking the church. Now, Saul, having miraculously come to faith, which we've looked at the last few weeks, he had come to faith in Jesus, miraculous conversion, uh, though he's going to be up in uh, Tarsus for the next 8 to 12 years from this point forward. The church began experiencing, after he was converted, the church began experiencing this season of rest and calm. Their attacker had gotten saved, and all of a sudden, the storms went into a flat, calm sea. While at the same time, even though this peace had come, amazingly enough, people were still multiplying. Believers were still coming into this faith. And the reason is they continued to walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, as is written here in verse 31. 
And by the way, this does not always happen. Matter of fact, this is not the norm. Typically, the more a church, let's say a church in the United States, with total peace, no persecution, lots of prosperity, usually when there's great times of peace and tranquility, guess what happens to the church normally? It becomes very lukewarm. Because there's really no resistance to, hey, they become less, less evangelistic, they become less prayerful, they become less focused on the Lord, and so uh, people often take for granted the goodness of God, the blessings that he's given us, and the favor, and they drift into complacency. And that is the climate of the United States, and it's been the climate of the United States for, for many decades, and it's getting worse on the whole, I'm not saying all the places. I mean, there's God's doing a great work in many places. But I'm saying on the whole, we've become as a country more and more complacent. It shows up in every fabric of our society, including the church. But apparently this is not the case in Jerusalem or Galilee or Samaria. And I so pray that we would take, brother and sister, the blessings that God has given us. And he's given us a lot of blessings that we do not deserve. We have it better than most people on planet Earth percentage-wise. A bunch of the countries I mentioned would trade places with your house in a heartbeat. But I pray that God would, with the blessings and things he's given us, that we would use them to serve him, not ourselves, which is so easy to do, and it's so uh, common. It's far too common. But Peter, he takes this opportunity, this free period of peace and no risk of being arrested and uh, freedom of movement. One of the reasons I told the first service why I feel I need to go see John in Houston, who's been asking me to come there for three or four years, and I kept putting it off, and I'm too busy, I can't get there, or I need to go see Jeff again, is because I may not be able to in a few years. i got to go while I can. You know, I want you to come preach here. I, I don't even like travel anymore. I used to travel for a living. I used to fly out on a Monday, fly back on Thursday. My wife would tell you, if I never flew again, I'd be fine with it. I don't even care. But if God says that you only have this amount of time because you don't know what's around the corner, you've got to do what you've got to do. Pray for your kids now. Reach out to family now. Go visit an unsaved family member while you can. And so Peter sees the opportunity late. Peter's going to die for the faith someday. He doesn't even know when that's coming, but he's going to take this opportunity to go freely visit believers in the towns and the villages in those three areas, and likely he's going to go check on the churches. How are they doing? Is their doctrine solid? He's going to answer questions about Jesus. He walked with them for three years. This is what he did. He's going to encourage them. He's going to reinforce the teaching of Scripture and the Make sure the gospel is, is the centerpiece of what they're doing. Uh, much as Saul, who will later become Paul, he will go and do the same. He will visit the churches in Antioch and in Ephesus and in Macedonia and all the different places that he would go. And during this time, and through the ministry of Peter uh, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the church flourishes. And souls turn to the Lord, and, and miracles of healing, even, even the dead are raised, which you're going to see in the next section as we finish this ninth chapter. But truly, as we see with this man raised from paralysis, and we're going to see in the second section, God has no limitations whatsoever. I don't care what the news says. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the insurance company says. God doesn't have any limitations. Isn't that great to know? 
Not then, not now, not ever. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title, The Power to Heal and Transform. Look back at verse 31 again. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Does anyone here not want peace? And were edified. Does anyone not want to be built up? And walking, not sleeping, not falling apart, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort. Who doesn't want the comfort of the Holy Spirit? And they were multiplied. Now, a lot of people that don't know the Lord yet don't want that. But if you know him, you should desire these things. The Lord gives you a desire for these things. He gives you a desire for spiritual food and for spiritual desires. We left off with the churches all throughout Israel. When I say Israel, I mean from Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Uh, They had all entered into a time as I mentioned, of peace, and they were being edified here. They're being built up in the doctrines of Christ, taught the scriptures. Prior to the persecution that began in Jerusalem, which was spearheaded by Saul and spread to other areas, many in Samaria, for example, knew nothing of salvation. Why? Because no one went to Samaria. Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. Even the apostles themselves at first didn't go to Samaria, even though Jesus had taken them straight through Samaria one time. Many people in Samaria knew nothing of salvation, but from the persecution, out of the persecution, we know Philip fled Jerusalem, and where did he go? He went to Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. But before the persecution, the church had been growing and multiplying. Remember, starting at Pentecost, 3,000 saved. And later, 4,000. The church had been growing and multiplying. And then in persecution, the church continued to grow. Although it grew and multiplied by it growing in Damascus and other places and people fleed. And so the church continued to grow in persecution. So pre-persecution, in persecution. And in Samaria, we saw many come to Christ there. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch. He, He comes to Christ in that time because Philip left the persecution, he ends up leaving Samaria. The angel tells him, hey, go down. And he goes down to uh, the desert there on the way to Gaza. And the Ethiopian eunuch is saved. And presumably, Ethiopian eunuch takes the gospel back to his country of the continent of Africa and Ethiopia specifically. Uh, but Philip also, after that, remember, he's taken up and he's transported, which is a great way to save time. You know, he's just taken up and transported. We all wish we could do that on Monday morning tomorrow, but you probably won't be able to do that. And he's transported to other places. He preaches to Azetos and Caesarea up on the Mediterranean coast. Now, after, after the time of persecution, the church continues to grow. It's what we're seeing here in verse 31. So before persecution, during persecution, after persecution. When does God want his church to grow? Before, during, and after persecution. In season and out of season. When you feel like growing, when you don't feel like growing. When you're afraid, when you're not afraid, God still wants us to grow. Amen? Amen. All of those times. But the church continues to grow and it continues to multiply. It says they were comforted and they were multiplied Uh, Why? Because they continued walking, which is daily living. If you're walking in the Lord, it's a daily thing. It's not, well, I do it one week, and I don't do it the other week. I do it one day, but I don't do it. Walking is one step, next step, next step. It's a perpetual thing. It's walking. It's that daily living, daily living 
in the fear of the Lord. Now, we have an American church that desperately needs a renewed fear of the Lord. I have a fear of the Lord, and I think it can go stronger than it currently is. How about you? And I know because when I'm reading these books on revival, when, when revival has fallen on godly churches, they become far more in awe of God than they were. And these were people that were really following pretty well. I mean, it wasn't like they were just out there living it up or anything. And so we know that uh, a fear of the Lord is desperately needed. In our country, people don't even fear law enforcement anymore. They don't fear consequences. They don't fear anything. There's a complete rebellious spirit. And the fear of the Lord does the opposite. The fear of the Lord gives you a humble spirit. And you humble yourself before the Lord. And so we desperately need that. That's why the Bible says if we humble ourselves, then he'll heal the land. But also the church. If we would humble ourselves and have a fear of the Lord, then he would bring healing into the church. And we're going to see a lot about healing here this morning. But this fear of the Lord, it's also, it means to stay dependent on the Lord. Dependent on the Lord. Not dependent on your paycheck. Not dependent on your health insurance. Not dependent on the federal government. So that could go bankrupt any day. You know, we don't know what the, all of that stuff. I mean, you know that. But dependent on the Lord to cling to Him in prayer. Not just to pray over a meal here and there, but to have a, a lifestyle of talking, walking with Jesus, praying with Him, uh, to cling to and obey the Word of God. Not just know the Word of God, but obey it. Jesus said, Bless are you if you do these things. To seek the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I pray up here, Lord, I could never do this without your help. That is not lip service. I absolutely 100% mean that. My wife can tell I tell her all the time. I said, I would never get in the pulpit without the help of the Holy Spirit, ever. Well, maybe I have. But I don't try to, ever. <laughs> Look back and think, I bet I have. I bet I have. But I've never, inten never intentional. And I don't think you intentionally want to go live your life this week without the Lord living it through you. But it's the humble and obedient state, that fear of the Lord. It keeps us in a humble and obedient state. Uh, and in the church then it was before, during, and after persecution. And the churches are experiencing, from Galilee all the way down to Judea, they're experiencing peace. You know, there's a lot of Christians that don't have peace. And they are saved. But they don't have peace. Some of you in this room, you say, I haven't had peace for weeks or months. God knows. I've had times where I didn't have peace. It's almost, well, it's not almost. It's every single time God will identify something where I'm not depending him on him. Every single time. Or there's some little bit of uh, just sinful attitude or, or resistance or something, but he will pinpoint it. But again, there's times where even believers don't have peace where we're not experiencing the comfort of the Holy Spirit, where we're not seeing new souls come in and say, Lord, where are the people getting saved? I, that's why I'm pretty excited the last two weeks. Even if you're not, I am. I hope you are, though, uh, about people coming to Jesus. And, um, but people there in the New Testament church there in those areas, they were watching. And here's what I think they could observe. These were the unsaved people watching before persecution, you guys were in love with your Savior and walking in the fear of the Lord. During persecution, you guys were in love with your Savior and walking in the fear of the Lord. After persecution, you still didn't say, well, now we got through the storm, let's go do what we want. You still are loving God, serving Him, 
We need what you have. I mean, this is why Hollywood people marry like seven wives. Bored, bored, bored. Indeed. And so many started to come. Obviously, there was God bringing the conviction of sin and things of that nature as well. But again, in peaceful times, and for the most part of our country's existence, uh, we've had big blocks of time where there's not been persecuted. We've had our issues all the way back to the Civil War and things like that. But as far as literal um, coming after people for the faith, like you see in North Korea or you see in Iran, that's not generally been our issue. And, but while they had this peace, they continued to serve the Lord with all that they had. A.T. Uh, Pearson, he was alive. He was a pastor in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Now, he said this in the 1800s. If he could see America in 2024, he'd probably fall out of the pulpit, uh, right out and, and uh, pass out or something like that. But here's what he had to say. He said, is it not already but too evident that the church of our day, this is back in the late 1800s, the church of our day has little or no conception of the pricelessness of blessing involved in this parklesis, which means calling, the calling of the Spirit. What if once more this lesson could be learned? What rest would the church have from internal dissension and division, from heresy and schism? What edification being built up, and that's what edification means, on the most holy faith, what holy walking in the fear of the Lord, what rapid multiplication, what worldwide, worldwide evangelization, there is not an evil now, Cursing or threatening our church life, which this comfort of the Holy Ghost would not remedy and perhaps remove. He was saying, if the church would have the fear of the Lord, that massive things would change. People would get saved. People would not be filling up bars. They'd be filling up the house of God. That there would be marriages saved. That there would be Things, you know, this is the late 1800s. Uh, many of the things that were racism would be resolved. All kinds of sins would have changed, but if they stayed lukewarm, none of that would happen. But the fear of the Lord would actually do a cleansing work, all not just in the church, but it spills outside. And that was happening then. I so pray that we, all of us, all of us that know the Lord, uh, would surrender ourselves fully to Jesus. You know, I surrender all, you know that song? I surrender all, not I surrender 10%, right? <laughs> that we'd obey Him the best we can. Because even the best you can, you're, you still don't even reach perfection. That's not going to happen. But Lord, the best that I can possibly see, I want to obey you. Just starting with the things that we know to do. A lot of times people say, well, I can't do this or that. I'm like, well, tell me something you do know you should be doing. They don't like when I ask that question. Because they invariably have a few things that they're well aware of. Everyone is. Starting with the things that we know to do, things that we have perhaps neglected. That's why Jesus said there to the church in Ephesus, you've left your first love. Go back and do the first works. He didn't even have to tell them what the first works were. They knew which things they had left behind. But to do these things with more of a heart of gratitude. Thank you, Jesus, that I even get to serve you that I even have eyes to read your word, that I even am able to pray with an expectancy that we'd see an increase in reverence and fear of God. As much as I have a reverence of God, I know it can be 
infinitely more, however many more years he gives me. And in doing so, we'll see a peace. You cannot get peace by buying new jewelry or a better house. No matter how many times you watch House Hunters, it will not, no matter what they tell you, upgrading your house is not going to bring peace. It only brings more misery because like, now we've got to fill this room too and it's not as cool as the neighbors who just got there to redone. None of those things bring peace. But as we see the fear of the Lord in us, and in doing so, when we have a peace, think about this, when we have a peace that's authentic, that's visible, that's attractive, the gospel is going to come off your lips in a whole new way. Amen? Amen. And you say, I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that he is able. But if you don't really mean that, they know you don't mean that. Your kids know you don't mean that. Hey, you should go to church. Well, you don't believe any of that stuff. Many a kid has said that, literally and in their minds. I said it when I was a teen. You know, I'm sure a lot of people think that. But being comforted and filled by the Holy Spirit, when that happens, then you see a harvest. Then you see souls coming. And that's what was taking place there. People were leaving their vain, temporary pursuits. And anything that's not of Christ is a vain temporary pursuit. I'm not saying you gotta, don't have, everyone here has to make a living. I get that. But you don't have to be in love with those things. You want to be in love with the Lord. Those things are just a means. Well, this is what Luke, uh, this kind of authenticity of the spirit and the fear of the Lord, this is what Luke and Peter and John and Barnabas and Philip, this is what they were living, this is what they were modeling, and this is what was taking place. The people were following the same footsteps as the apostles in the church in Galilee and Judea. And what, we were, what, we, what they were seeing then, we can see God do again today. And we are seeing, I just seeing someone come to Christ the last couple of weeks uh, gives me, Lord, I know that there is more that you want to do. And we're going to keep praying these things, that his will is done. While we do two things, we have to wait on the Lord and serve the Lord. We're waiting for him to return, and we're serving until he returns. There really is no other options. You wait on the Lord, just like a waiter, <laughs> and you continue to serve until he comes, and, and that's what we're called to do. Verse 32, uh, now it came to pass, and this is exactly what Peter's doing. He's continuing to serve as he is been commanded. He's one of the apostles. He's one of the pastors of the entire church at that time. Uh, so it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt light. Of course, saints are the believers. Now, as the church was growing and it was simultaneously experiencing this beautiful peace and this comfort of the Holy Spirit, uh, it appears that Peter, he feels led uh, to go and visit the churches, to visit the fellowship of believers through all parts of the country. Um, he just wants to see the people face to face, encourage them. Uh, and given the context, uh, it seems that the areas that, that are mentioned here are part of what we would call the original promised land. And not even 100% of it, uh, but I put a map up on the screen. I love maps. Hopefully this will help you. Uh, but uh, they're in the back of your Bibles, kids, if you're bored. Uh, but uh, there's got a map up here. And the, uh, the original promised land was obviously more than, than it's mentioned here because I have Gal he, uh, Luke mentions Galilee, 
uh, Samaria and Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. So everything inside the dotted red lines is what Luke was speaking of. Now, the original promised land went to the other side of the Jordan as well, and farther north and farther south. Uh, but he's speaking of what was taking place in the early church was mostly inside that dotted line there, Galilee to the north, which is Peter is from Galilee, uh, and then Samaria in the middle, which is where Philip went, and then Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. And this is the uh, places that it says Peter went through all parts of the country. Up until this point, with a few exceptions, up until this point, the apostles had mostly just stayed in Jerusalem. If anyone wanted to come and hear their direct testimony in Jesus, they had to come to them in Jerusalem. For the most part, with a few exceptions, remember Peter and John, they did go down to Samaria, laid hands on the people, and went back, hit a few villages, and then went back. But for the most part, like I said, with a few exceptions, the apostles had primarily had just stayed in Jerusalem. Even in the persecution, they didn't leave Jerusalem. They stayed, and somehow God put this hedge of protection that none of them were thrown in jail. We don't understand all the reasons for that, but they stayed in Jerusalem showed great faith in doing so, but they stayed there, and people had generally come to them, although many people had fled, and now we're starting to come back, uh, perhaps now that Saul has been converted. But it's likely, as Peter heads out, probably the other apostles also head out. They're not met. Luke's only talk, he's focused on Peter, but it's more than likely. Remember when Jesus sent them out? He sent them out two by two. So it's more than likely that Peter was not the only one that head out. They probably, to hit all the villages, you go here, you go here, John, I'm going to go here. You know, so the apostles probably fanned out and visited, but it's focused on Peter specifically here. And he visits the churches, and one of the cities that he comes to is Lydda. And you can see it on the screen. I circled it in red, so Lydda is right there. It's going northwest of Jerusalem, Lydda. And then Joppa is just, and we're going to look at Joppa in just a second. Joppa is just to the northwest of, uh, of Lydda. Uh, where Lida is today, if you fly into Israel, you fly into Ben-Gurion International Airport, that is where Lida uh, was. So today, the International Airport is right about where Lida was at that time. Look at verse 33. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. While, uh, while Peter was there visiting the believers in Lida, he sees or is introduced to a man who's bedridden for eight years due, due to being paralyzed. Uh, this man apparently knew what freedom of movement had been like, and that, ha that had been taken away. And so now for the last eight years, he was unable to move. I cannot imagine that, but I've met people that are in that state. Um, and even though I can't always relate to it, we can have compassion and must have compassion for those that are ill or sick or bedridden, because it could be you in that same place someday, but even if it wasn't, we're called to have compassion. Uh, maybe you're here right now and you're going through a long trial of unhealth and no one knows about it but you, or difficulty. Good to know that God knows and he cares. And as we find out, we should care. We should actually show you compassion and pray with you and help in any way we can. Verse 34, uh, and Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed, then he arose immediately. So Peter, moved by the heart of God and filled with this compassion, but also filled with the power and the Spirit of God, he says with faith and boldness, wouldn't you like to have this kind of faith? He says with faith and boldness, Aeneas, 
Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Can you imagine the joy? Ananias, he did not see this coming. He did not know healing day was that day. He had no forewarning, not a warning, but no foreknowledge that Peter was going to show up and he was going to be healed. As far as he knew, ninth year, 10th year, 11th year, 12th year, he was never going to be healed from paralysis. You know, it's not fun someone else putting your food in your mouth, changing your bedpan and all that kind of stuff. It, it was a different time period. It was a rough time to be paralyzed for eight years in a bed. He had no idea. You can imagine the joy in a moment that Jesus had healed this man. But Peter was clear. He didn't do the healing. Peter's like, Jesus the Christ heals you. Peter doesn't have the power to heal. It was Jesus. Anything, anything, small or great, done in us or by us is only done through Christ through us. All things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, if you were used early in the year, right? If you even used once already to make somebody smile, it's Christ in you. If you were used to help someone not to give up, Christ in you. If you're a parent, you're going to do this hundreds of times. You, you cannot give up. You must not give up. You can't give up. If you're used to bring someone to Christ, so all I do is invite them to church. Christ in you. Or to recommit their walk to Christ. It's the Lord who does it. Jesus alone does it through you and me. And Peter was the same man. But this man, he rises immediately and by the way, he gets an immediate task. Peter says, arise and make your bed. What? <laughs> At least he didn't say, arise and make me a sandwich. But he says, arise, <laughs> make your bed. I don't think they had sandwiches back then, but then you know what I mean. When you are saved, when you're restored, and there's many times in life you'll be restored even after salvation. When you're saved, when you're restored, when you're resent. It's never to do nothing. You were never saved to do nothing. You were never saved to sit there and just watch the church do whatever it's called to do. You are the church. Amen. We're saved to serve the Lord. And he might give something very small to start with. We've had two salvations last Sunday, this Sunday, and I've had a chance to run into the prayer room when Pastor Zach and Pastor Trevor in their ministry, and I said, look, make sure you just start reading the book of John. Right. I didn't say read the entire thing. A few verses every day. You need to start to exercise the faith you've now stepped into. You, you've been saved by faith. You now need to read the word by faith. Tell someone else what God has done. These are small steps. Uh, he'll give very small steps. First steps of obedience. Peter says, make your bed. It's noteworthy. I think we'd all agree. You guys agree God is a God of order? You ever read about how he designed the world? You know, he's a very, that's why evolution, ridiculous. Yes. Just your eyeball alone. You know, but anyway, uh, I, I could go for hours on that. But he's a God of order. And something as simple as making a, a bed instills discipline. Gratitude. Order. Work ethic. And even in the military, some of you that served in the military, you know that making the bed was a big deal. First thing, 
in the morning, other than your morning runs and all that kind of stuff, but you had to make your bed. Former Navy SEAL and four-star Rear Admiral uh, William McRaven, he wrote a book titled Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and the World. And I've read the book. I have the book. It's not a, it's not a Christian book. It's just a book about discipline. And the word disciple is where we get the word discipline. Legalism, God's never, he doesn't want us to be legalistic. That's what the Pharisees were. But he does want us to be disciplined. You actually had, I'm, I'm guessing, you had to have some level of discipline to get here this morning. You had to do something like, I will get up at this time. I will take a shower. I will do this. There's some level of discipline. And so it's a good thing. And Jesus calls us to a life of disciplining ourselves and laying aside the things that we just feel like. Because feelings will not be the will of God most of the time. Every now and then our feelings do line up. But most of the time we don't feel like doing this, that, or the other. God says, I want you to go minister to this person. But I in the middle of something important. Let's examine. Well, how important is it? You know, Small steps always matter, and small steps of obedience and diligence are pivotal, taking bigger and more gradual steps as we mature in our faith. Look at verse 35, and we see the response there. Then he immediately rose, and so all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. We see the response that takes place in Lydda and nearby Sharon, as people saw this formerly paralyzed man of eight years, he's now walking, and this doesn't always happen. Praise God that it does here. Uh, people don't always turn to the Lord when a miracle takes place. Many saw Jesus' miracles and still said, crucify him. Some of them had been recipients of his miracles, like let's say they had eaten at the feet of the 5,000. They still said, crucify him. So just because people see a miracle... Jesus said, if you remember the man in hell, he said, if, if someone came back from the dead, they still would not believe. They have the Moses and the law. Right. They're not going to believe what God has said. So it doesn't always work this way. But amazing what Luke records here. He says that, so all who dwelt at Lydda and Shron saw him and turned to the Lord. The way Luke frames it, it is possible. Matter of fact, the way he writes it, I think, He's straight up saying that everyone, this looks like a 100% conversion rate in Lida and Sharon, everyone. And the reason why I say that is because when we look at the next text, he text, he does not say all. He says many. Here he says, and all turn to the Lord. Uh, the other beautiful thing about those eight years were not in vain. The man who now can look back and say, wow, my burden was so desperate and the community so understood, everyone around there knew his pain and suffering for eight years, that his healing caused everyone there to say, that gospel must be true. And everyone turned, Lord, turn your page to the next. Well, mine is a page turn, but yours may not be. Verse 36, let's read through the end of the chapter. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and to charitable deeds, which she did. Uh, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, 
and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when she had called, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that, so it was that he stayed many days at Joppa with Simon a tanner. So in Joppa, which was a seaport on the Mediterranean, you can see it up on the screen. It's about 17 miles northwest of Lydda. A woman who was very dear to the community there, uh, especially to the church and the believers, but not just to the church. We no, no doubt she used her compassion and the gifts she had for sewing and making garments to minister to all people in the community and uh, certainly probably the poor, but she was very near and dear to the church as well. And she had become sick and rather than recover, I'm sure the church had prayed for her and, and rather than recover, she did not recover. She succumbed to the illness and she died. Her name was Tabitha in the Aramaic, and her name was Dorcas in the Greek. And we talked about this, that Saul uh, was his Jewish name, and Paul was his Greek name. And it was common for people in them, those days to have more than one name, in her case, an Aramaic name and a Greek name. And so, but uh, the Aramaic name was Tabitha. Both the names, Dorcas and, Ta uh, Dorcas and Tabitha, they both mean gazelle, or a young deer. So uh, it both me means the same thing. And it was very common in the Middle East to have names after animals. So they would different names that would mean different animals. And gazelles were considered elegant. They were considered beautiful and graceful. If you see, if you, you can type in to your search engine, gazelles, comma, ancient pottery. And you'll see all kinds of gazelles are all on ancient pottery. They, lo they love to paint them on there, carve them in. So very, very common. Her name uh, was common in that respect. But Luke tells us that she was full of good works uh, and charitable deeds that she did. Uh, they weren't just things that were in her mind. Like, I probably should get around to doing this. There is times, even lately, the Lord has knocked on my heart and said, don't make an excuse, make the time. Don't make an excuse, make the time. There's people in my life, God says, I want you to reach out to them. I want you to uh, give them a call, send them a text. I don't make an excuse, make the time. Uh, so many people, it's not that they, it, it's not a difference of time, it's a difference of commitment between us and those that, you know, like a Dorcas, she's pouring out her life. We could too, we should too. Not to, say, not to say we're all called the exact same thing. But she didn't just think about these deeds. She went and did them. She didn't just ponder the good work. She actually was helping people. She diligently made the effort and took the time to sew these garments and deliver them to people and serve people. Now, after she passes away, they wash her and they put her in an upper room. As best we can tell, she's not yet wrapped for burial. Uh, I don't know why, but they don't wrap her immediately. Um, they seem to think, before we wrap her, let's call Peter. In verse 38, it tells us the believers there in Joppa, they, they're, uh, they're aware of what the Lord had done in Lydda and through uh, what, the, what had been done through Peter there. And, and they're aware that he's still in Lydda, in verse 38. And they send two men, 17 miles or thereabouts, about two-thirds of a marathon, and they get to Peter, begging him to come quickly. Uh, and there was faith that maybe, just maybe, the Lord could use Peter to do the miraculous. Even if it was a long shot, 
And Peter was there, let's go implore him to come. And by the way, if you lived in that time period and you had heard that Peter had healed people and a friend of yours died, you might make the 17-mile trek to say, would you be willing before you head back to Jerusalem to stop by? And even if it doesn't work, would you just pray? Just maybe, just maybe. If it was your friend, if it was your relative, if it was your neighbor, you might would do that. Verse 39, we say that Peter agrees to come in, uh, agrees to come, and he goes with them, he goes to the home, he goes up to the upper room. All the widows are there. And I love that today is our Young at Heart luncheon. So this text, right, you know, we have our Young at Heart luncheon. I know that some of uh, you ladies are widows, and whether it be uh, through the loss of a spouse or divorced widows in that sense, uh, but um, so you guys will be gathering later. But uh, they were all gathered there, and they loved Dorcas, and uh, they were weeping over her. They were grieving over her. There are certain people when they are lost, everyone feels the loss. You know that there are certain people when, and other people are lost. You're like, I don't really know them that well, you know. But there are certain people when they are lost, it's a loss, and so everyone's grieving her, and they're weeping over her. And not just that, they're actually holding the garments she had made for them. I mean, it was like, uh, like if some of you that bake pies or something, you know, I'll never eat that again when that person's gone. You know, that, they're just holding these things, the tunics that they had. And no doubt many of these widows and many others in the community had received much needed clothing from her. And in many cases, probably they clothing they could not afford if she did not make it for them. Verse 40, But Peter puts them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Peter does something he had seen Jesus do uh, when he had, Jesus had raised the synagogue ruler's daughter. That's recorded in uh, Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. He raised the synagogue ruler's daughter uh, from the dead. Uh, and what Jesus had done in that scene, uh, there was people that were grieving there, and Jesus asked them all to step out of the room. It wasn't mean about it. I mean, I've gone and done hospital visits sometimes with Pastor Trevor, and, and we've even asked the nurse, hey, can we have just like five minutes alone to pray? And they, they're like, yeah, no problem at all. I mean, it was not some rude thing, but Jesus said, I'm going to ask all of you to step outside. And Peter had seen Jesus do it, and he does the same thing. He says, I'm going to ask all of you to step outside. And so he stays in the room, and look what he does. It says, but Peter knelt down. He puts them all out. He kneels down to pray. Do you have to kneel to pray? No. 90, I, I don't know the percentage. I tried to figure it out in my head in the first service. But I don't know, 98% of the time, 99% of the time, I'm not on my knees praying. I'm usually walking praying, on a run praying, sitting at my laptop praying, you know, wherever I may be, but I'm usually not on my knees. I get on my knees a certain amount of times every, every week where I'll just I usually try and start the day for at least a couple minutes on my knees, but most of the time I'm not on my knees. But Peter, he's already dripping with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he gets on his knees. Isn't that, a, isn't that something? That's pretty telling to us that here's a man who's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He feels compelled to kneel, but think about it. He's never made a request like this. Lord, I'm asking you to raise someone from the dead. That takes a lot of faith and a lot of boldness, and he gets on his knees as a sign of dependence on the Lord. Lord, if this girl's going to get raised, it's got to be you. 
I'm begging you. Upon kneeling, he prays. And turning the lifeless body, Peter says something identical, aside from the name, identical is what Jesus had said to the synagogue ruler's daughter. Uh, the only difference is uh, the synagogue ruler's daughter was Talitha, uh, well he says Talitha, but it, it means dam, damsel rise. But here he doesn't call her by Dorcas because he lines up his statement almost identical other than the two names. And this I put up on the screen. Here he says, he says, uh, or Jesus had said, uh, Talitha Kumai, which is damsel arise. And Peter says, Tabitha Kumai. He does not say Dorcas. He lines up the statement almost identical, Talitha Kumai versus Tabitha Kumai. He's like, if this is going to happen, I need to follow every step of Jesus on my knees, putting people out of the room, and actually praying it exactly the way I heard my master pray it. Amen. And lo and behold, she does. Astonishingly, she opens her eyes. And she sits up. Now, I can't speak for Peter. When we get to heaven, you can ask him about this. If I was Peter, I'd have been shocked. It worked! <laughs> I would have been blown away. I mean, I'm, I'm blown away when certain much smaller prayer requests of mine are answered. I'm like, I'll say to my wife, well, you prayed about it. Like, well, I didn't expect it to actually happen. You know, they, uh, I just know I'm supposed to pray it. You guys have done the same thing, right? Jesus had said the disciples would see greater miracles. Now, obviously, raising from the dead is equal to raising from the dead. I've heard other pastors preach on this and teach. What does it mean that they would see greater? My personal view of it, and again, it could be wrong, I just greater because if Jesus is doing a miracle, well, he's God. But if you do a miracle, you know that you, a flawed individual, Peter had just denied Jesus not so long before, and now someone had raised from the dead. It's a great thing. It's a greater thing. A sinless Savior, we expect him to walk on water. But when Peter walked on water, he's the only other person who ever did it. That is amazing, right? Jesus, well, he made the water. Yeah, he can walk on it. But the rest of us, we, we see it as a God doing something even greater because he would use a flawed person to do what only God could do. And that's my personal view on it. But uh, Peter's a sinner saved by grace, and he's doing this as a testament that God can use flawed vessels, which is really good news for you and me, right? You can use flawed vessels. These signs, though, were given to not just anybody, they were given to the apostles. So be careful of signs and wonders, movements, and stuff like that. These signs were given to the apostles. I'm not saying that God still doesn't do miracles, and he can, but I'm saying that people walk around and say, I have all the apostles' gifts. No, they were the apostles. And they were given these specific power for the representation of the resurrection power of Jesus, and to magnify the truth of the gospel, which is exactly what takes place. They didn't call for just anybody. They said, please send Peter. They didn't say, just send anybody that, you know, that, that, that not anyone had this kind of anointing. Uh, verse 31, we bring it to a close here. Then he gave her his hand, lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Peter gives her his hand. He lifts her up. He calls all the saints in. You can imagine the rejoicing. All those mourning and weeping tears turn to tears of joy instantaneously. And God can turn your situation around rather quickly. 
Say, Lord, I know you can do it, whether it's eight years or this. I know you can turn this around. And you just keep waiting on him and his timing and just have that mustard seed of faith. Say, Lord, I know you can turn this around. You can turn these tears of sadness into tears of rejoicing. He can. Now, word spreads quickly. Uh, it says it came known to Joppa that meant, uh, verse uh, 42, and became known throughout Joppa. And many, it doesn't say all here. Some people didn't believe that she had been raised from the dead. Ah, there's no way. She was asleep up in the upper room. He was in a deep sleep. She was unconscious. You know, Peter's like, I'm telling you, she was dead. But it, says, it doesn't say all. All was the previous city. Here it says many. So uh, I've, I said in the first service, if Jesus raised from the dead in the middle of Times Square, do you think every single person in New York City would believe? No, a bunch of people say that was a magic trick. But we believe because we know he is the Lord God himself. But uh, in, as we bring this to a close, it says in Luke 18, 37, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I have out in my garage, I have an elliptical, and on really cold days or hot days, I'll get on my elliptical, and right in front of me it says that. It says, what's impossible with men is possible with God. And I remind myself all the time that it doesn't matter what I think is possible, it matters that God can do anything. Amen? We're not going to close in worship. We had a little extra thing with the video. Sorry, worship team, I apologize. But I will ask you to just bow your heads, and I want to just close in prayer. And uh, the first service, we saw someone come to Jesus, and just like we saw then, if there's even one person, I don't want to close this service, even though I, we're going to forego the closing song for just today. But if there's even one person that's here and you say, I, I've never... Come to him for salvation. I saw where it said in the text that many turn to the Lord. That's exactly what God is calling you to do, is turn to him. Turn away from sin, away from yourself, away from the things that are temporary, that will never satisfy, and to salvation. If there's even one person here that says, I came here today and I don't even know how I got here, but God has me here and I want to give my heart and life to Jesus. I want to be cleansed from my sins. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's even one person, like I said, we saw someone in the first service make that decision. If there's even one soul here, I don't want to take for granted that you all know the Lord. Maybe you all do. But if there's even one person, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I can't pray for you, but I can lead you. If we all know the Lord, as I preached in the very first Sunday of this new year, I preached a message called A Closer Walk with Jesus. We looked at today, the church is walking the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that each of us have a deep desire to have a closer walk with Jesus. Even if you have a close walk, so Lord, I want it to be closer. I want you to purify more of my thoughts, more of my word, more compassion for people that I don't normally have compassion for, more willing to make time for things that I say I don't have time for, more willing to just be a servant of the Lord. And he'll use us. He'll multiply. And we will see. You'll see those prodigals this year you've been praying. You'll see them finally get saved. You'll see people that you thought, I never have an inroad with them. God will give you an inroad. Why don't you stand as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you that you're still the same God that worked through Peter 
to raise a man that had been paralyzed for eight years. You're still the God that was multiplying and comforting the church there in Jerusalem and Samaria and Galilee. You're still the same God that raised Tabitha from the dead. You're the same God that the Lord wants to give that power to give that peace that the church was walking into us. And Lord, we just pray that we would yield ourselves to you, be fully surrendered. Lord, we'd walk in the disciplines you've called us to do. And Lord, it's not legalism, it's love for our Savior. And Lord, that we would not make excuses, but we would make time for you and for others. And Lord, in doing so, you'll give us back time. I'm convinced, Lord, that you will multiply for the days are short until you return, and we want to be found those with oil in our lamps serving you with a pure heart when you return. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. If you're willing to help us set up tables, here's your opportunity to make your bed right now. <laughs>